0: Washington, coming to you live from Miss Buffy Williams' office. <laughs> Just sitting around thinking about life and trying to become better people tonight, so check us out. Welcome back. You're on the air with Buffy Williams, and you have been listening to the New Heights Show on Education. We have been discussing the show's purpose. Good evening. This is your host, Buffy Williams, and you're listening to the New Heights Educational Group, the New Heights Show on Education. And tonight's topic is classroom sizes in K through 12. Does it work or does it even matter? A recap on last week's show, um, we took a look into the different forms of media used in the classroom learning environment. On tonight's episode, we're going to talk a little about the classroom size and the topic has been a hot button issue for a number of years now. So join us in the discussion and call us at 917-948-7542 or drop your comments in the chat or tag us on social media using the hashtag NHEG or as always post your comments on Twitter at Buffy underscore Awaken, or on Spreaker, Instagram, or YouTube. Remember, my fellow New Heights host, Erica Hansen, show airs on Thursdays at 2 o'clock p.m. Mountain Standard Time, 1 o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and 4 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Uh, on this week's episode, I know that last week I told you we were going to be doing the issue 4 of the Easy Tunes comic book But in light of COVID-19 and thinking about how classrooms will be structured as we go into the fall of next year, I thought that we would talk a little about classroom sizes. And um, this issue of classroom sizes has been up for debate as to whether or not it's been effective. And so our source for tonight's show is... um, education research center education week and the department of education and when we're looking at classroom settings and classroom size limits there are a number of factors that uh, researchers have found that are instrumental in whether or not classroom sizes matter i know that we have you know myths But then there are always the realities after the researchers do the research as to whether our myths are are actually true. So let's talk a little bit about that tonight. Um, One of the things is that teachers... Uh, on average, have in the U.S. about 25 students per classroom. And so one of the other things that researchers have noticed is that the classroom size reduction generally does not make a difference in the academics of a student um, after they are in high school. But it does make a difference if the students are in the lower grades. And so what they're, they're looking at there is that There's this continual reoccurrence of this issue of classroom sizes and reduction of sizes and what kind of uh, implementation and strategy should be used within the classroom. But more importantly, teachers are at the forefront of this. So teachers um, are looking at instructional time and how much time they can actually spend with each student. And we know that all those things are factors and Policymakers and researchers have been exploring this issue and the reduction of classroom sizes and looking at what um, methods they favor over other methods. And so in looking at the restructuring and the formatting, one of the things that they have considered is actually co-teaching, which allows two teachers to be in the classroom, which, of course, um, gives the students more opportunity and more access to teachers. But the, also the research shows that just because there are two teachers in the classroom doesn't necessarily mean that the students will actually retain more or learn more, or even get more attention. So uh, another way that they have looked at, at mitigating um, the classroom sizes is distance learning, adding to the instructional time for the students. And so that's another factor. And um, schools have been challenged with this, and I think it was around 2000, um, we had the No Child Left Behind, 2000 and 2001, and as a result of that, the federal government issued a lot of block grants, and the estimated value of that was uh, $2.85 billion dollars for block grants for school districts to hire more teachers. But in that mass effort to take advantage of those block grants and to actually place more students or place more teachers in the classroom for the students, one of the issues that they found was that once they received the block grant, they didn't actually have the classroom size to uh, or the structure in the school to be able to actually lower the classroom sizes so then they found that they had facility issues and they also were in such a mass rush to hire teachers that they hired a lot of teachers that were not highly qualified or not certified within that particular area so just because the school districts had the funds they weren't necessarily able to implement the program in the most effective way because they had to a lot of the schools had to add actual um, portable schools on the children's playgrounds in order to add additional classroom space. And they were even using broom closets that were a large size to actually try to um, expand the classroom sizes or the classroom locations for the schools. And so those are some of the issues that school districts have faced throughout the years. But in 2008, The classroom size did kind of trickle down from the average of 25 to from 17 to about 15 during that mass push of the block grants. So it was a reduction of maybe two to three per classroom. But another thing is that you have to look at how is your school district actually counting that ratio? And so if they're saying that they have a particular classroom size, Then are they factoring that by the average number of students at the school divided by the number of teachers that they have or are they actually just doing it on average? So you have to look at everything in the statistics because it could be skewed data because they also factor in uh, teachers that have special education classes, which are naturally lower in number. But they're not necessarily teaching the other students in the school. And so, in that way, you may have a false sense that you have a larger number of teachers in a particular school teaching a smaller number of students, but in actuality, um, there's still a large number of teachers that have larger classroom sizes and very few with the special education classes who actually have fewer students. And so those estimates did come from the Department of Education. So if you want to look those statistics up, um, that is out there for you as well. And so also to try to mitigate this, um, the federal government instituted A a few things or states issued uh, a few statutes that actually kind of impacted the school districts in a different way. And so they mandated that there was a restriction on classroom sizes in the uh, general education classrooms of the earlier grades. And so that would be like pre-K through third grade, but they weren't necessarily in the higher higher grades up and so again we're talking about whether or not the myths and the realities of reducing class sizes actually make sense if it's going to improve academic achievement for our students and if they're going to um glean anything from that and there can be a number of different factors here and so you know we can say There is an issue and we need to um, try to create a solution. But if researchers researchers have already done the research and they say that it's not going to increase the actual performance of the student, then maybe we need to um, look at something else as far as the structure of classroom sizes. And so one of the things that the researchers had noted, which I thought was very interesting, and I think that this also gained some traction around 2008, was that they considered extending the length of the school day. And so they thought that that may actually increase the academics' um, performance of the students versus actually having smaller class sizes, which really didn't show a significant change in student improvement. And so that's one of the other things that we needed to consider. And so... In looking at reducing the classroom size, one of the things that the research noted is that when you did reduce the classroom size in the earlier grades, that minorities and immigrants tend to perform better in those grade levels. Um, but then they were looking at class sizes in that particular study of 13 students per class versus 17 students per class. And then after they reached fourth or fifth grade, they went to standard school sizes, uh, standard size for the classrooms. And they noticed that there was an increase in those particular students in that particular study in that group. And so the outcome of those academics may uh, or may not increase based on the students actual initial um, interaction within the school system, and so the best way I think that this is one of the other pushes for pre-K, and having pre-K programs, and then having actually smaller class sizes to increase the performance of, as we've talked about uh, many times before, the Higher Education Act in implementing those programs because they knew or they assumed at that point because I don't think all of the research had been done. But some of the earlier studies um, said that early early exposure kind of created a discipline. And so once you've done that, even though you reduce the class sizes, once they get to high school, it doesn't necessarily mean that they will be able to catch up from that or change their behaviors. And so we have to look at all the factors that go into whether or not this problem is a problem Or if it's an issue that something that we can solve. And so we know that it doesn't automatically change, you know, the the teaching practices of the teacher either. So those are other factors that we have to actually keep into play because you have multiple variables that will affect whether or not a student's performance is going to be um, on par. And so you look at um, whether or not schools were forced to hire teachers who were not qualified or underqualified or teachers who were unprepared to actually deal with um, the particular group of students that they were dealing with. And also another factor is that if you have a classroom size, um, let's say of 25 students and you're an English teacher and they're actually preparing research versus A math teacher, let's say, or a teacher that does not have as um, in-depth grading systems um, versus someone who is teaching art. um, Those core areas are going to be, um, of course, heavier in course material usually than, let's say, an art class. And so with that, just because you reduce the class size does not mean that the teacher actually still has time to do all the things that they knew need to do within the classroom in order to um, make that a productive and uh, nurturing environment for that student and actually give that student the time that they need in order to uh, increase their instructional um, time with that student one-on-one. And so in Japan, they found that, uh, let's see, Japan and Korea, they found that the class sizes average 33 students to 36 students per class and the academics were still on a higher uh, level than they are in the U.S. with only 25 students per class. But the difference there is that they have an extended school day. And so um, this particular study that was done um, actually focused on The fact that if you extend the school day, that students will still benefit more. And so today um, we are discussing classroom sizes in the K through 12 education. Does it matter? Does it work? And so we're going to take a short break and we'll come back and discuss it further. Join us after the break. Educational resources to help reach your goals. New on Curiosity Street Louis b Mayer, Jack Warner, William Fox. Hollywood was the city of dreams, but the beginnings were a nightmare. You will never work in this town again! Its titans, the rise of Hollywood. And Merapi, one of the world's most active volcanoes. Can we better predict its next deadly eruption? A new expedition hunts for life-saving answers on exploring the volcano. Watch now on CuriosityStream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com. This podcast is brought to you by Silicon Valley High School. The world's fastest-growing, video-based, self-paced, teacher-supported, fully accredited online school that's recommended by more than 96% of students. Take individual courses at just $95 each or earn your high school diploma at any age. Check us out at svhs.co. Welcome back. This is your host, Buffy Williams, and you're listening to the New Heights Educational Group, the New Heights Show on Education. And tonight's topic is classroom size in K-12. through Does it work? Does it matter? Uh, and we were discussing before the break the effects of uh, students attending smaller classroom sizes at an earlier age, and whether the classroom reduction size matters. Um, And we also talked about some of the realities and the myths of classroom reduction sizes and considering these factors in choosing or evaluating schools and their performance as to whether or not the effectiveness of the teaching style works because we know that we have to look at quality learning um, of the teachers. We have to look at the school leadership, also looking at the school size and the amount of parental involvement. So all of these factors are extremely important as we look at whether or not school sizes or classroom sizes are going to be um, the proper solutions so that students can have a greater uh, educational experience or more enriching e- educational experience, I guess I should say. I know a lot of um, parents have uh, opted to start homeschooling their children and uh, distance education is on the rise. And I wanted to talk about this in relation to COVID-19 and going into the fall um, because I guess as a parent, but not having someone in the K through 12 area right now, I would be wondering as a parent, if there is a reduction in classroom size, if we're still going to be social distancing, if my actual school will be able to um, accommodate that. And if not, what does the school year look like for my child in the coming fall? And so I would think that some of my listeners would also be having some of those same questions that they would be asking themselves as well. So we're looking at what has the federal government done? What has the Department of Education done? What has our local um, and state governments um, done to kind of assist administrators in um, providing our students with the best um, um, school environment that they can and. And showing the indicators of, you know, if schools even have the capacity to be able to implement all of these demands that we're putting on them. So we have to also consider, you know, when we're looking at quality education, looking at the framework and everything that goes into it. And so we're looking at the average class size and how do states um, mandate these class sizes? And we know that we talked about also in the lower grades, Generally, in pre-K through the third grade, they are going to have smaller classroom sizes. And then the student-teacher ratio is something um, I know that I kind of associated with, um, I don't know about you guys, but I thought the actual student-teacher ratio was um, kind of like a However many teachers you have at school divided by however many number of students you had. And then you you came up with an equation there. And so student teacher ratio is really is just based on the total number of school instructional staff divided by the total number of students that are enrolled. So I kind of got that one correct but it actually shows a smaller number than the actual class average size. Because remember I said that you also have to factor in if teachers are teaching special classes. And so if you're looking at um, the flip side of that and looking at, well, how does that factor into the full-time equivalent? So if, if a school has a teacher uh, let's say they're part-time, that may skew the number. Because if they have four part-time teachers, that only equates to one extra teacher. And so the numbers may look different based on that just that one teacher and the ratio and the average and the number of that. And so another thing was that um, it also does not make a difference in the classroom size unless the classroom sizes are lower than the lower than 20 and so there are two factors there so we're looking at if the classroom size is lower than 20 and then we're also looking at is this classroom um in the k through three area or is it above that because remember the researchers have noted that if you have the smaller classroom sizes later but don't have them earlier that it really doesn't make a big difference in this in the child's Um, Perception of whether or not they're getting the quality education, and then actually having the results of academics to back that up. And so, the relationship between the class size and the increased um, achievement of the student sometimes don't directly correlate because there are so many other variables that come into play. So, we're looking at the quality of the teacher, the environment of the student's home the quality of the curriculum and the leadership. And then we're also looking at um, definitely drawing a conclusion between whether or not, you know, this class size alone is, is the right fit or is going to be the most effective way to implement um, the, the school structure. And so not every school we know, most schools are utilizing every inch of space that they have. Uh, And they try to use it in the most effective way possible. Um, And so we need to also think about as we advocate for education, um, not looking at whether or not the students actually have a smaller classroom size just for the sake of having a classroom size is what the research basically is telling us. And so we have a responsibility as parents. We have a responsibility if we're going to be involved in education to try to assist our school districts in the best way possible in trying to increase the academic performance of our students. And so that's going to be on an individual basis, it's going to be on a case-by-case case basis, in a family household by household basis. So you have to determine for yourself. Um, you know, you, we are in an age now where we have enough options that we can look at what's going to be important for my child and um, most beneficial. And I know that we can have people on both ends of the spectrum that go um, far to the left or far to the right of that issue and maybe over demanding things of school districts that they can't implement or, or actually um, not taking advantage some maybe not even taking advantage of some of the, the access that they do have and so you have people on uh, or parents I should say on all ends of the spectrum but we have to remember that the habits that our childrens form you know, early in in their educational performance is what really is going to uh, affect their academic performance. And so whether that's good or bad, we have to try to help them cope with, you know, the classroom environment and adjust and be more agile as it relates to um, the things that they may encounter within that school because we know that that's a learning process in itself. And so, you know, being able to, speak up for themselves and say that they need assistance when they need assistance or taking advantage of, um, teacher, um, um what am I trying to say? <laughs> teacher appointment time and parents being involved. And so it's, it's, it's a, uh, a broad spectrum approach. And so we have to look at all the factors that are with that. And so we have veteran teachers out there. I know that, We have younger and younger people coming into the educational school system and it may not be as appealing because of all of the myths out there about what education uh, is about. But I just want to encourage anyone who is thinking about going into the field of education that uh, our children are worth it, our country is worth it, our future is worth it, you know, to invest the time and the effort that it takes, you know, to, you know, have quality instruction, Um, definitely work on classroom management because, you know, that's going to be essential and key to anything because just because you have a a lower number of students doesn't necessarily mean that the classroom management is going to be well. And so, you know, having classroom management, but I just encourage those out there who are in education and those who are considering going into the field of education that there are going to be challenges and there are going to be dilemmas that we face within, you know, the education field. But our children are worth the sacrifice of us trying to figure out, you know, what's going to be work best. And we just have a responsibility to bring our best for the time that we're in it in front of those students. And they deserve, you know, everything that we can give them. Uh, in order to um, make their experience uh, an enriching one and understand that you know a lot of schools are overcrowded you know and they face issues of uh, trying to find facility to make space for you know all of these options that we think are good but they do that at um, at a disadvantage to other programs that actually need the space. So school, the school system now is totally different from when we were in school. So schools are making room not only for education, but they're also making room for some schools have childcare centers, they have music rooms, we have gyms, they have um, rentable and portable classrooms. And so all of these things make it difficult if we're talking about just the core of education, if a school is already struggling to make space but also trying to offer all those things that they feel our students need in order to be a more well-rounded, educated student within the K through 12 area. We have to look at the resources that they have been provided and whether or not they can adequately provide that within the facilities that they have. And so, you know, money you know, is one of the factors that we know we have to have the funds. And so, you know, advocate, you know, on your local level with your school board, definitely, you your state senators, write letters, do whatever you have to do in order to um, do what you think is best for your child. And so this is an individual effort, but we can all uh, work to work on those relationships and hopefully um, our students will be able to perform better but also remember that teachers have a heavy workload and they do have team teaching at some schools. They do have volunteers that come in, but, um, education as always, as it always has been is uh, a communal effort. And so we all have a part to play. And so if we just play our part, then hopefully, um, the, f- the field of education and the future of education is going to be brighter for our children. And I also um, want to uh, mention that um, my heart still goes out to everyone who is suffering through this COVID-19 um, time and those who have lost loved ones or those who are suffering um through being separated from their loved one, maybe because they're an essential worker or they're healthcare worker, or maybe their loved one is uh, in an assisted living facility and they're not able to actually see their loved ones um, at the rate that they used to. So my uh, heart, prayers, and thoughts go out to all of you all. I know that this is a difficult time in our nation, but I just want to, again, thank you My listeners for joining in with me and on next week, um, if I don't decide to do the comic book, just bear with me. I'll get it for you. Definitely. It'll be issue four coming up. But I think we're going to talk about school selection because we're going to have a lot to deal with this coming fall. So we're going to talk a little bit about school selection and whether or not homeschooling or public school, charter school, again, as as we know. Uh, Public school may be virtual school in the fall. We don't know. But um, I encourage you to stay safe out there. And I hope that you join us on next week. We hope that you join us next week. That's our time. And you have been listening to the New Heights Show on Education. I'm your host, Buffy Williams. If you like what you've heard, search for us on your smart speaker and listen to us anytime. Thank you for listening. Good night. Until we meet again next Tuesday night, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time, 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, as we discuss next week's topic. Enjoy expanded content from the New Heights Education Group hosts on Blog Talk, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spreaker, and Watch No Learning.